freedom for freedom freedom over fame free free freedom over cycle stays the same welcome in everyone to how to ride a roller coaster i'm your host david ezel here we'll talk with business owners and founders on what it's like to ride the roller coaster known as entrepreneurship how to navigate the highs the lows, as well as tangible tips that you can use right now to kickstart your business or idea. Let's get to it. Welcome in, you guys, to another episode of How to Ride a Roller Coaster. Today, my guest is Mr. Maxi Taylor. He's the founder of Goodie Box, which is an efficient way for brands and retailers to offer products in non-traditional retail locations. What's going on, my friend? How are you? Man, I'm doing good, David, and yourself? Can't complain. Like we said, can't complain because it wouldn't matter. Nobody wants to hear it, but no, man, things are things are fantastic. How was your holiday? Holidays were great, man. I um, you know, was real intentional on taking some downtime, being able to unwind and enjoy friends, family. So, yeah, no complaints. I feel energized and motivated to just, you know, kick 2023 in the butt. <laughs> Heck yeah, that's that's the way. Did you guys, uh, did you stay at home? Did you kind of stay low-key or did you guys have to travel with family? Uh, I stayed low-key, just within the state. Um, yeah, effortless relaxing r and r oh man yeah that we we kind of did the same you know and it's it's actually kind of nice just to have that downtime be able to relax and hit 23 where you know get it going um but before we get to it man um tell us a little bit more about goodie box tell us you know just kind of the high level and then we'll delve into how you got to where you are Man, sure thing. So, you know, we're a Dallas-based company building smart, efficient vending solutions. We place those in apartments, high traffic locations. Uh, We're just shy of 35 locations. I believe we have 34 just within DFW. Uh, We're poised to, you know, get to 150 locations by Q3 2023. Um, So we've just been in a hybrid of some visibility and stealth mode, retooling, fine-tuning our business model before taking it out of Texas and having some more public installations. Uh, we per, you know, place our stores predominantly in closed, accessed, uh, multifamily apartments. Um, so, you know, learning the data and the consumer, we're now feeling confident we're able to, you know, expand out, be a more public front um, and take this thing nationwide. Um, so we've been silently hiring, adding to the C-suite um, and doing a little capital raising to help us with our 2023 objective. Oh, man, nothing like starting 23 with a little bit of capital raise. That'll that'll definitely make sure that everything is flowing how you need it to. Um, so so where did Goodie Box come from? Where, when was that kind of like light bulb moment for you? So um, I was living in a multifamily apartment. Um, I relocated um, to Dallas from Southern California. Um, And at the time, um, this was pre-Amazon's e-commerce boom. This was prior to DoorDash, Instacart, and all those things even existing. Um, So I saw, you know, that I was going in excess of a mile to either CVS, Walmart at the time, Target, and it felt, you know, just really laborious on, hey, I'm trying to get essentials and the must-haves. And then, you know, the urban new layout and format of how they're building apartments, everything is vertical. It's a parking garage. You have to go really far down to get things in and out of the garage. It just felt really laborious. So 
I just so happened to be making, you know, my normal runs in within, you know, my community, checking the mail, leaving the fitness center. And I just so happened to walk by a, an existing vending machine that had, you know, snacks and chips next to the fitness center. But it appeared to be outdated. It had, you know, cobwebs and just, you know, snack wow. and chip items that I personally wouldn't buy and couldn't think, you know, hey, nobody's really buying this <laughs> stuff anymore. So I think that was my aha moment. I saw, okay, here's a vending space, here's an apartment community, then it, you know, instantly had a light bulb in my head. I thought, you know, how could I repurpose this space and also maybe some of the technology to suit the demographics needs um, so we wouldn't have to leave the property to get these essentials. And that's, you know, led me to some some research and building the first flagship location uh, was installed in uh, Victory Park 2015, 2014. Um, so that was the first one um, and led to subsequent uh, developments and installations. And here we are, you know, 34, case, 34 locations later. <laughs> Man. And so you you can really put anything that the, the company, whoever it is that's purchasing any of these boxes from you, they can put whatever they want in these or do you focus strictly in, you know, packaging chips and Coke and things of that nature? Or what does it typically look like? So um, our product mix typically consists of the things that you hate to run out of. So our okay. top selling items are feminine hygiene products, toiletries, small electronics, really the, the must haves um, and everything that's considered non-perishable. Um, so we have some shelf stable items that we put in seasonally. But for the most part, everything is, you know, toiletries, feminine hygiene products, small electronics, the things that you just really hate to run out of. It's a hybrid of a convenience store and a drugstore is our, our product mix. Gotcha. Is your background, are you naturally entrepreneurial? I mean, because a lot of people, they would pass by that you know, the outdated vending machine with cobwebs, with things that they may not purchase, you know, off-brand Sunkist or whatever may be in there. And they would just bypass it and say, ah, oh, well, I don't need anything in there. There's nothing for me. But right. you saw it as an opportunity. I mean, is that, have you always kind of had that or was it just right there in that moment? I've always had that. But, you know, to be honest, in my background, it just wasn't cultivated um, just within um, the terms, you know, entrepreneur, things like that. I really didn't grow up around understanding that uh, terminology. But looking back, I did have a lot of proximity. Uh, my grandfather owned a small bodega and convenience store where he would offer, you know, some of these items. So uh, essentially, I grew up in the environment and just, you know, kind of take my took take my experience. I saw an opportunity and um, kind of the evolution of, you know, what you know my grandfather started um, in making a, you know, kind of a bodega convenience store kind of component. But, um, yeah, I kind of got inundated with the data of seeing how um, retail apocalypse was something that was a coin term and seeing how large, big box and even small, medium retailers were struggling with, you know, the, the most... Uh, costly is their, you know, their real estate. So that data and just this entrepreneurial knack just kind of uh, ignited that time with an opportunity. And then, you know, it's just been, you know, just un unreal from that point. So what was day two like? You see it on day one, you sleep on it, the idea is marinating. What happened on day two? So day two, I've Figured, you know, that, hey, a vending shell is pretty much common. 
Um, so the research began on day two on figuring out the internal components on, okay, hey, I don't want to dispense snacks and chips. What if I wanted to do, um, you know, toilet paper or, you know, these larger items that I could see that were a need? So I was trying to wrap my head around, okay, what could I utilize inside that could dispense this appropriately. So my first inkling was to uh, stumbled upon robotics and that I found a X and Y axis um, component of robotics that is essentially the pushing and pulling arm that was inside of the box. Um, so I sought that company out, uh, the engineering of that and wanted to figure out, okay, uh, see that X and Y axis that looks like something I could utilize. Now, how can I put it inside the box? So that began, you know, step two on figuring out how that would work. And then, you know, having the, the engineering and design component to be uh, curtailed to a, a kiosk, so to speak. And that was, you know, day two from that point. So is your background more on that engineering side so that you could, you could think through that or? It's not. Um, my background is asset management. I came from commercial banking, real estate, um, nothing dealing with engineering whatsoever. But, you know, just how my mind works, if I'm interested and become intrigued by something, I'm, I'm an avid researcher. So, you know, the information, I didn't feel, you know, that it was that technical or too you know, difficult for me to understand. Um, so yeah, just figuring those components out, asking the right questions, hitting up the right people, just trying to make it make sense. I've always been, you know, a researcher, relationship management person. So my forte is, you know, not uh, being comfortable and not knowing everything, but knowing how to get the right person on the phone or the right people involved to just to make it make sense for the bigger picture. And I think that that's a great thing to point out there, you know, because Similarly, my, I mean, my background is not in engineering, so that would have been a huge hurdle or hill to climb right there just because you're I'm starting at zero. Sure. Um, but I think you nailed it. You know, if you can, the information is out there. If you can research it, if you're looking for it, if you can put yourself in and around those people that might already have that information, then you can just kind of become the sponge. You know, you can just soak up that information at a rapid pace. Absolutely. Um, and so, so, so these boxes, are they, are they similar to the traditional where when a product runs out, they're just out until somebody comes and refills and you have somebody kind of going back and forth? Or what is kind of, I guess, the maintenance side of that look like? Great question. So it's not the standard. Um, that was um, something that I had to foresaw that, hey, it could be, again, really laborious on the, the maintenance and the replenishment side of keeping these, you know, fulfilled. Um, so that led me to probably, I would say, maybe week two on figuring out um, the remote management and also the internal components, which uses RFID sensors that allows for product management remotely. So if, hey, I can get an indicator if this shelf is down to three items and not, you know, fully depleted. Let me know, hey, it's a low inventory alert. Um, it sequences, um, you know, our, our internal staff to get the products ready to be able to be replenished. Um, so the sensors inside were really ideal for, for building a remote management system to be able to view products in real time 
and also have a kind of like a God view on the replenishment and the logistical side of the business. And you said that was week two. That was, that was week Man, two. Man, <laughs> that's crazy. That's that, no, so cool. Um, and so can these be customized based on where they go? So if it's in an airport or a multifamily apartment complex or school, wherever the case, can they be kind of customized? Sure. Um, so the standard um, measurements or specs is roughly about seven foot in height, about two and a half foot in depth, and roughly four and a quarter feet wide. Uh, but there have been um, modular add-ons that allow for more um, uh, narrow or long space that could be, you know, airports and other locations. So it's definitely customizable. Uh, but we just found that a standard footprint and a changing product mix was better suited than just having, you know, just a larger or custom box that proved to be consistent and eliminated a lot of variables with um, just customer requests. Um, so customers, you know, of course, you know, it is the, the customer's world. But at the same time, you know, just leaning so customer centric would allow you just, you know, you're just putting random items that people aren't buying in there and having the capacity. So we really just wanted to keep it simplistic and have something reliable. And that also included just keeping a, a standard installation spec that we would put out for all locations. Gotcha. And so you said that um, you're kind of taking everything back, making sure that everything is kind of in place before you go outside of Texas. Yeah. What are those things that you kind of need to get in place or, you know, before you look to tack on another 13 states or whatever that growth plan looks like. Sure. So Texas is, uh, I don't want to say an anomaly, but undeniably the, the growth in multifamily developments and apartments in the Texaplex, Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, Austin has been unmatched. I mean, we've had tens and thousands of apartment development Everywhere. that have happened within the last 10 years. And the, the growth trajectory and other markets isn't on par with that. There's some existing inventory um, and kind of segueing, um, these developments that have happened within Texas have been primarily class A multifamily apartments. So in other markets within, you know, the other states, there's, you know, existing inventory of class B, class C, or what we would call garden style. So garden style is more of a, you know, you drive in, you walk up versus the more vertical urban infield design. Um, so our vantage point looking out is, of course, we feel that we understand the consumer. That was really, you know, what we were uh, in the field to prove. You know, there's a, a person that, you know, buys certain items they're inclined to buy it from a kiosk something omni-channel if it works and makes sense but to answer your question one of the things that we have to keep in scope is that um the landscape for what we've done here doesn't look the same in other places so just figuring out what the high traffic and that density density and synergy looks like in other states is something that just requires a little more research and then also just something for us just to be a little more flexible. Um, and that would include not being in closed control apartment community. So that could be some, um, some custom enclosures that we place in the middle of a park or a subway or office tower. So we just really had to expand our, our location footprint um, and just see what was available and not just solely focus on just apartments. It made sense for apartments. Uh, but the same consumer 
will purchase from other high traffic locations as well. Right. Are are there certain places that are harder to get into than others, such as like airports? And I just assume that that real estate space and places like that are already kind of designated. Yeah. Um, is that right. is that how that happens versus versus maybe a a multifamily apartment that's still in construction phase where maybe those that real estate isn't yet allotted. Right. So yeah, the apartment, excuse me, the airports, um, you know, how they do business is totally different. Um, there are concessions and bid opportunities and RFPs that you have to be privy or, you know, uh, you know, hip to the announcements and, you know, also have a level of history to, you know, work with, uh, airports and their concessions. Um, so we, already identified that being a potential, um, you know, growth strategy for us. But, uh, you know, we were really locked and loaded prior to, you know, the pandemic on approaching and getting into some some of the airports, one of which DFW, Atlanta, Hartsfield. But, you know, had we had pulled that trigger, you know, we may have been really in, in, a, in a hole. So, um, you know, we were thankful that we were able just to sit back and not pull that trigger premature. But to answer your question, yeah, it's a whole different ball game, some more of politics, more of bidding. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's possible, but definitely different from just, you know, the apartments and construction that are growing up like, like weeds at the moment. <laughs> Everywhere. I mean, literally we, we went to dinner just before this. And I mean, like just driving there, you pass so many that are just under construction or opening in February. I mean, they're everywhere. Yeah, literally, literally. <laughs> so what drives the different types of products? And I know you talked about, you know, non-perishable, a lot of your daily essentials. Um, but do you guys have analytics or data or is it customer feedback? What drives the products in a certain place and are those different depending on the place? No, great question. So yeah, we do um, a lot of our own analytics that stems from the existing retail sales. So specifically, we could take a zip code, do a query on the top 100 selling items, um, and then that gives us a vantage point on what is hot, what's popular in this locale and vicinity. And then we take a little bit of common sense paired with um, customer feedback to curtail something that makes sense for the actual location. So it has some consistency, but there are some variables, you know, certain, you know, developments they may, okay, they like oat milk better. This certain property they may like almond milk or soy. So it's, you know, different variables that may happen but you know the product mix is consistent but a few tweaks but we use combination of you know a locale query common sense and a little bit of customer feedback too okay do all your customers are these rented or are they purchasing these boxes they are utilizing a licensing and a revenue sharing structure so um typically the license gives them access to our product mix our proprietary information that we discussed about, you know, how we're pro providing and getting the product mixed together. Um, and it also allows them to utilize our name, image and likeness for their marketing, for um, sure. you know, getting new people into the apartment, so on and so forth. Um, and then we negotiate a, a revenue share in exchange for um, the space. So typically 80, 20, 90, 10 split, 10 allotted you know, them for an exchange for the space and um, they're able to make a little more money than they would with some underutilized space or, you know, just more money than 
uh, just some snacks and chips that are bringing three or four hundred dollars whenever they get it. Interesting. So, what is the marketing for something like this? I mean, even when you first started, maybe you you know built the very first box. I guess it was week two in. You know, after you had everything mm-hmm. mapped out, engineered, built how you wanted. What was the marketing like for this? I mean, it, you know, was it one to one? I mean, how did you kind of start to get that name out there? So I, I took an existing book of business um, from um, just my relationships. Uh, you know, I had relationships, commercial banking, lending with um, shopping centers, convenience stores, hotels, and some multi- multifamily apartments. So that actually got me my first um few locations and then it led to like word of mouth and then internal business development where we would just keep an eye on like you mentioned there's so many apartments that are coming up you can drive around and see construction permits get details and just do the business development and reaching out at the right time and it's been successful today and also just the um referrals you know this property management company and the now thing is that they're actually working together. Sometimes you have a construction arm and a property management company and they're working together and they communicate certain specifics for the amenities. And that's been successful today. So, you know, this property management company was working with this construction company and they said, Hey, yeah, that's cool. And then they've been mimicking that strategy so far. Um, and we you know, haven't had to, you know, raise, uh, excuse me, haven't had to spend any money large money on marketing but you know as we go out and you know getting to other locales and high traffic locations that's part of our fundraising that we need to you know increase brand visibility and get the word out outside of our um, existing network okay okay and so you've been you know founder and running goodie box for the last several years mm-hmm. what are some of the biggest takeaways from the entrepreneur side that you've maybe thought you knew but i mean you know Thinking about running a business and then running a business are kind of night and day. You know, one is like, you know, you're going to get rapid fire customer feedback or market feedback in real time. Sure. What are some of those big time takeaways that you've had since you've been running and now growing Goodie Box? Well, I think the important thing for me is understanding and seeing the value early on in assembling that team. Um, yeah, there's, you know, a lot of things personally as an entrepreneur or solo that makes a lot of things difficult so identifying the vision and the end goal and being able to motivate and bring the right team on early you know would eliminate a lot of you know friction and nuances so that's something that you know i identified really early on but then at the same time is that i didn't want to be premature with bringing someone who's on that was not didn't have the startup ethos, you know, I feel a lot of people that I see, they, you know, they're hip and privy to startups, but, you know, they bring the same kind of W2 mindset to the ball game. It's like, you know, hey, I just want to clock in and clock out and get a check, but not really understanding, you know what I'm saying, how you could put some, put some skin in the game and get some equity in addition to a check and what that needs, which, which, how can you utilize that to get to the next step? So having that mindset yeah. from people that are, you know, willing to get in the kitchen and get dirty and, and eat at the same time. So figuring that out in addition to assembl- assembling the team, I feel is really important. Um, and secondly, I would say having a mindset coming in that, you know, there's going to be some no's, 
there's going to be some closed doors, you know, there's going to be some, some sleepless nights and some non-profitable nights going in. So having, you know, the mental wherewithal to prepare yourself for that is, is, is really vital to your mental health and not thinking, like you said, that this is just an overnight, this is a snap through thing that's just going to happen. And it, you know, it's going to be some, some bumps in the roads and some sacrifice that you need to, um, you know, have the <laughs> intestinal fortitude just to be able to endure <laughs> throughout. Yeah. So preparing yourself mentally for that, preparing your your girlfriend, your spouse, anybody else oh, that's yeah. around you, you know, hey, it's entrepreneur life, it's it's inconsistent, you know, no day <laughs> is the same, just to be to say the least. Yeah, yeah, transparent and, you know, know that coming in, just to, you know, have your mind right and have the people around you um, you know, right as well. I think it's really, really vital to, um, you know, getting you to the next steps as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Couldn't agree with those more. I mean, <laughs> same thing, you know, if it boyfriend, girlfriend, significant other family members, especially those that live in your house, mm -hmm. you know, it's, this is, this is different, you know, I, I, working on Saturdays, working on Sundays, working at, at, you know, when everybody else isn't, you're, a lot of times working or, you know, you're just kind of always on. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you almost, you have to get better at sales, I think, sure. you know? Um, and it's just that, that skin. Cause you're going to hear a lot of no's. You're going to have those days where nothing, all the ones you've been working on all say no at the same time. Right. I mean, that's, I remember that was one of my biggest kind of mindset shift days was, was working on three different potential customers and then it had been working on them for weeks. Hmm. And then all in the span of about six hours, all three said no. Wow. And you just come home at the end of that day and it's, it's just like, uh, man, you know. Then it's something else. But, it's like it's the 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 plumbing in the kitchen sink went out on top of oh, that. It's, of just, it's, 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 it's life and business. And they just, man, sometimes <laughs> they can just beat you up at the same time. So, yeah. I oh, you got it. So, so what's next? You talked about potentially expanding outside of Texas, given the right scenarios, market research, validation. True. What What's happening after that? Like, where do you where do you envision Goodie Box and say, you know, five years? What, what does that look like? Well, we have a really cool 2.0 of Goodie Box that basically takes our best practices of a, a standalone retail store utilizes a self-driving platform that would allow for us to create essentially a store on wheels. So we see, you know, the delivery on demand, all of that good stuff is now here. It's not going anywhere to stay, but you know, analytics, my, how my mind works and just seeing the end goal, it's not sustainable. It's, a non-profitable business model. Um, so we feel that our best practices paired with the 2.0 technology will give us a competitive advantage in, of course, streamlining convenience, but eliminating the need to have something just stand alone. And, you know, it's some pushback with, you know, my internal constituents, you know, hey, if it's already working, why would you change it up or do something different? But, you know, like I mentioned, there's a forecast of available apartments, airports, there's, they're going to run out eventually. So the goal is that, again, we have identified a consumer that we can serve anywhere. 
um, regardless of that lo location. So the goal is, you know, to take those best practices um, and keep fine tuning our business model. We feel that, you know, that will be um, a convenience model of the future that we're poised to, you know, be, you know, a brand moat, if you will, for what is a goodie box, you know, that distinguishes us from we started in a, a vending perspective. So that's our goal to usher in us being a brand mode and carving out our own lane. And in five years, uh, we, we see ourselves being a omni-channel brand that, you know, prides ourselves with convenience and technology being something um, for the millennials by the millennials is what we see for us in five years. Love that. So the floor is yours. Tell people how they can find you. I'll definitely make sure to link everything in the description, but where can they find you on social? If somebody's interested in doing business, what does that look like? It's all you. Sure thing. So you can find all of the information, reach out to me, myself, and the team. We can be found at goodiebox.com. Um, we're really active on, on social. Um, I can be found at CEO Max. We can also find us on LinkedIn and any of the social platforms at Goodiebox. So, yeah, we're really excited. 2023, we'll have lots of updates. Um, you know, stay on the lookout for us. And if you have any questions, would like to do business with us, feel free to reach out. Um, and yeah, stay tuned. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Well, Maxie, it was a pleasure. Much success. Can't wait to keep up with everything you and Goody Box are doing. Thank you, David, man. I appreciate it, man. It's been a minute, but yeah. glad to catch up with you.